0: Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm so, so delighted and honored to be joined by Dr. Clara Brown. Clara, thank you so much for joining. Great. So Clara is a Chartered Psychologist and will have a wealth of knowledge and information for parents and for kids that are maybe in a school setting that want a little bit more help. So Clara, maybe do you want to kick off and just give us a little bit of background as to yourself and, and bits of work that you're involved in.
1: Hi, Anna. thanks very much. Yes. Um, okay, so my name is Clara O'Byrne. I'm a chartered psychologist. I'm based in West Cork and I specialize in parent support work, parent coaching and assessments as well. So my background would be special education and disability, disability advocacy. I've worked for over 20 years, initially as a teacher, then as a lecturer, then as an advisor to schools around behavior and well-being. And now I run my own private practice. Um, just near Clonkilty in West Cork. And I suppose... I suppose another thing that I bring to the table is I've been on the other side of the table as a parent. Um, and that certainly has helped me understand that sometimes schools and clinical services don't put their best foot forward in terms of explaining things to parents. So that was really what this little chat about is today, is maybe to explain a few basics to parents and I suppose improve how they communicate with the schools. Exactly. And obviously, look, just so much needed,
0: really, in terms of, as you mentioned there, you know, resources on that level of language as to, you know, what does a parent do if they've just gotten, you know, a recent even assessment or they're just unsure about things in general. So maybe as a starting point, Clara, if, you know, parents are tuning in and they're worried about even their child's progress or, or development, what maybe bits of advice do you think would be useful for them to to know as to how to help and, and move the steps
1: forward? Well, I think the first thing would be to clarify exactly what you're worried about, because sometimes you have... A kind of a niggling worry but you're not entirely sure what you're worried about and it's really hard for a teacher or a clinician to to move that along unless you're very clear so what i would say is take some time to think about it it's actually something i even do in my own practice i help people like, clarify what they're concerned about but really simply in terms of schools you're looking are you worried about their academic progress so reading writing Maths, or are you worried about their social and emotional issues? Are you worried about time on yard? Are you worried about friendship skills? Because they're two very different things and they'll require very, very different meetings and supports with the school. So once you've clarified in your own head what you're concerned about, and park the idea of normal, I would say that to every parent. So the, the concept of normal is, is, is actually a term in statistics. Okay? So you have an average, you have a normal, you have a typical representation of a population. In the real world, there's really no such thing as normal. There, You know, everybody is very unique and different. Some are more similar to others, but there are many, many people who are different and children don't develop in sequence. You know, the tall child, if you look at particularly secondary school, you can see the small boys and the tall boys, but in any class, you'll see the different heights. So if you can take that idea of the different heights and sizes of the children and apply it to their brain, their brain develops in the same uneven way. There's going to be children who are streets ahead of reading, but can't kick a ball. There's going to be children who can kick balls but can't read. So it's just to park that little anxiety about normal or typical behavior. Generally speaking, teachers will flag if they're concerned and they have a rough idea of the developmental milestones children should be getting. So the other thing I would say if you're initially concerned and you're doing that little writing down of what am I concerned about is what I find helpful is to look at the problem from two ways. So is my child different or unusual compared with his peers Mm -hmm. or is is my child's problem different or unusual compared with himself so what do I mean by that so if we'll take the example of reading if your child is doing comfortable and well and streets ahead and maths history geography art and is generally confident in school but the reading is a difficulty well then that's an unusual profile within that child's profile then if you compare them with their peers, you're going, oh, everybody else has best friends at this age, but my child doesn't have a best friend. Then that's a different type of comparison. And it's really helpful if, you, if you've if you done that little bit of reflection and work around that, just to identify, they're called the interpersonal lens and the interpersonal lens. So looking at the child themselves compared with themselves and looking at the child compared with others. So I suppose the, the final thing I would say to parents who are worried is is it really a problem is it actually affecting a child on a day-to-day basis like because honestly if it's not i certainly wouldn't be rushing into an assessment process and into a labeling process unless the child themselves is having what's called functional difficulty on a day-to-day basis if it's just a little niggle it might work itself out with time would you what would you would you find that sometimes in a in your Yeah?
0: I find find the way you broke down the three steps so you know, tangible and then sequential as well, which is great. So yeah, obviously yeah. doing that exploration piece and then trying to to tease them out, which is great, I suppose, really, so that it gives people a little bit of a roadmap. I often find that there's just so much, you know, lost in translation and there's just what's the next step? So just that next little bit along the journey and, and people that are maybe at that crossroads, Claire, what kind of supports do you think that you know or what kind of supports are maybe out there for them to to get access to or get further help from?
1: Okay so the first your first tip typically is your school um, and it's really and the school will often be the, the means by which you're directed to other services So what I always say to parents is it's so important to build a solid working relationship, particularly with the primary school. Because if you think about it, if you have one child or particularly if you have multiple children, you could be working with that principal, deputy principal, those teachers for 10 or even 15 years. And people don't think about that. They think about the time they're in but you're going to be going you're driving you're going to be driving to that school for a decade or more and you'll be interacting with those teachers for a decade or more so if you think about that time span then you realize okay well there's no point in burning bridges early on in the process so it's really important to intentionally say i'm going to find a way to work with these people um and there's strategies to do it. And certainly going in all guns blazing isn't helpful. Now, absolutely, some schools don't put their best foot forward no. either. But what I do is I regularly actually coach parents on exactly that, particularly when school. When a school relationship has broken down, it can be hard to pull it back and requires a bit of work and honesty from everybody. But if it hasn't broken down, I think you need to go in with that kind of going, look, I'm going to be working with these people for a long time. It needs to be a partnership. And then what I would say is because the school really is your central signposting, it's really important to stick with the facts. OK, um, approach the conversation really professionally and um, be realistic about the resources that are available. Um, so for example. For example one term that parents need to become really familiar with is identified need. So the government changed how learning support, even though it's called special ed, special education support now, they changed how that was delivered in schools around 2017. So if you hear your neighbour or the, your cousin's cousin's daughter was entitled to hours, that's no longer the case. No one's entitled to anything anymore. Basically, the way it works is the school gets, for want of a better word, a pot of hours. And that pot of hours is divided by the principal and the special ed team amongst all the children in the school, depending on their level of need. So a diagnosis doesn't necessarily translate to automatic hours or even automatic types of support. To give you an example, a child might have a difficulty reading, like significant difficulty reading, but they don't have a formal diagnosis of dyslexia, But they might be really struggling. So they might be getting a high level of literacy support in the school. They might even be withdrawn on a one on one basis. Another child might have a diagnosis of dyslexia, but thanks to interventions, maybe from the likes of yourself or interventions in the school, they're actually doing quite well. So they might get next to no support in school because they don't need it. And that can be a tricky one for parents to to understand and that's where the conversation with the teacher will come in. They'll either be on school support, which tends to be in the classroom, or school support plus, which tends to be small groups or pulling them out. Um, the other thing I suppose that parents need to know when they're working with schools, the other thing you're not entitled to anymore is an SNA. You have access to an SNA. So if your child has care needs, um, which is a wide can be widely interpreted, um, they will absolutely the seno who's the special educational needs officer for the area, will grant extra staff to the school in the form of an SNA, but the SNA isn't belonging to that child. The SNA supports all the work in the class and SNAs can be moved across the school at the principal's discretion. So the SNA that works with your child in junior infants may not be the SNA that works with your child in senior infants in first class. So I suppose this is where the conversation with the school needs to happen, because you you need if you don't know, you could find yourself getting quite offended that your child isn't getting the support you feel they need. But what I would always say to every parent, your child is the centre of your universe and rightly so. But your child is one of a couple of 100 in a school setting and the principal wants to give a fair whack of the support to every child. And that's where the collaboration with the school comes in. Um now it gets a bit trickier if the teacher disagrees with you and says, Oh, there's nothing wrong with him, he's doing fine. Totally fine, you know. And I suppose that does happen. Um and that can be a bit tricky. So then I would circle back to my first point about the two different lenses to look at the problem. So in um in a class that's maybe across the board weak, where the reading is quite weak anyway. A child who's struggling with reading mightn't stand out as much, yet they're doing really well in all their other subjects or the parent feels they're doing well and underperforming in reading. And I think that's where you need to have that conversation with the teacher going, look, well, maybe the average in this class, the expected performance in this class is below what I think my child is capable of. So could we look at something? And this is where you just have to have the meeting and go, look, because failure to respond to intervention is a key diagnostic criteria for dyslexia or any specific learning difficulty. And that means in order for the clinician that you may eventually end up with to have a good idea that somebody meets the criteria for dyslexia, they need to hear from the school. Are they getting at literacy stations? Are they doing a bit of um, a program, say like by toe by toe or snip or something like that? Are they getting support? And, and they're not responding to the support in the way the teacher would hope. That's a bit of a red flag. So it's important to have that conversation with the teacher and have it early. There's no point in you stressing about the spellings in September, still stressing about the spellings in Christmas and the teacher's none the wiser. You know, it is important to let them know what's going on. And that dialogue
0: conversation, please, Cara. I suppose is so vital to try and create that loop. But, you know, fascinating level of information there, Are you know, about the tangible facts about... How you know times and divided, and I suppose with that change with information, there is a lot of maybe lack of awareness as well, or, or lack of accurate information. You know, from you know either parents are just new to a system, or you know they haven't been getting special education support before, and now they are getting it. Is there any particular portals or avenues that you suggest parents to you know if they want to learn more about or read up on, let's say? you know, changes and developments, where do you think people should go to to find out what they're, let's say, entitled to or what the actual concrete facts are? So in
1: there's two concrete facts that we, parents need to familiarise themselves. One is something called circulars. So the Department of Education communicates with schools by, by what are called circulars. They're basically letters of instruction to the school. Each one of them has a number. So for example, the one around the change from diagnosis to need is 13, 17 for primary and 1417 for post-primary. There's a new one in August of this year for Irish exemptions. So you, if you're Googling a term like Irish exemptions or assistive technology or special education, you want to get the.gov.ie circular, the actual circular from the department. Some schools automatically put them up on the website, some don't. Um the other so I suppose fact-based piece of information that you need is the school's policies and they will be on the school website and you're entitled to have access to them and you're entitled to ask for a copy of them. So what is the school policy around SEN provision? What is the school policy around suspension and expulsion? Their behavior policy, all those things that uh, you know might interact with you over the time that you're interacting with the school, uniform policy, that sort of thing. Because a school, the principal of the school answers to what's called a board of management, who are a team of, and this is important, volunteers. They don't get paid for it. So the board of management volunteer to support the principal in the running of the school, and they are obliged to follow the steps laid out in their policies and procedures. So that is really important as a parent that you're familiar with the policies and procedures and familiar with the department circulars. Um, and it. It's awful to say, but not every teacher is as familiar with the department circulars as they should be. So it is very important as a parent that you're familiar with that language. Now, there, There's a lot of reading on them. There's a big literacy demand on them. So what I'd always say is join the Facebook groups, you know, join the, you know, you know parents supporting each other, those sort of things, ADHD parent support group. There are lots of information out there. I would just take information on Facebook with a slight pinch of salt. You know, I would tend to use Facebook as a signpost rather than fact. It's like, oh, they mentioned that they're not, you know, there's a circular about that. I'll go find the circular. Oh, they mentioned they're not allowed to do that anymore. Oh, I better go find out that information. I wouldn't necessarily walk into a school quoting a Facebook group because mm-hmm. you might be wrong. But there's certainly a, a good first step in terms of communication with the school. So, school policy and procedures, Department of Education circulars.
0: Yeah, there. so I suppose it's great then that they have a little bit of a, kind of, a little bit of a toolkit really to yeah. inform themselves. And as you mentioned, you know, what some student is getting or, or another child in the class, it might be very different than what you're getting. So the, the level information then often gets a little bit like Chinese whispers. the kind of changes yeah. as we pass it along. So very, very important to have as much, you know, of an up-to-date perspective as possible. And if a parent is still really worried, Clara, about either... child's progress or just their school performance or, or anything in general really that they're worried about what major pieces of advice would you give you know to a parent to try and manage you know transitions or or manage let's say lots of new information all at the one time
1: so I suppose my first tip my first tip is don't be afraid to communicate with the school communicate early and often but there's a way to do that effectively so you have to remember The school is the teacher's workplace, you know, so in the same way that you wouldn't land in on your accountant without an appointment or you wouldn't land in on top of your doctor without an appointment. It's it's not helpful to what I call doorstop a teacher at the school drop off or pick up or even in the supermarket, as some people have done. You know, it's it's just not helpful. And equally, it goes the other way. It's not helpful if the teacher grabs you as you're trying to shoehorn 10 school bags into the boot to go, oh, you know, such and such thing happened in school today. It's just not, it it works both ways. It's not the place. So meetings should be formal in in the sense that I will ring you at, I will, you know, Zoom you at, I will meet you face-to-face at. So ideally, a formal meeting Regular, I mean, regular meetings or irregular meetings, they should be taken as parent, as child advocate, professional teacher, it's a formal meeting. And I would always take a notebook to those meetings. That might, actually, my top, my top tip is notebooks. Have a notebook for every child if you have multiple children with multiple needs record everything in that notebook. The appointments, the phone calls that certain services were blind never happened. you know, the, the letters, the changes in appointments, note down things that you observe in your home that you want to bring to the professional's attention. Because I guarantee when you're sitting in the meeting, you'll have forgotten what that thing that you really meant to say was. So have a notebook per child, put important dates into it, the deadline for applications, The deadline, you know, the reminder to say to the SEN coordinator, have you done the race accommodations with accommodation for state exams? The other thing a notebook is really, really important for is if you're in the meeting and the professional is dumping information on you, as we can often be guilty of. And many is the time when as a parent, I have sat in the car afterwards and gone. What did she say? (laughs) So it's really, really important to take your notebook and go, oh, hang on a second. So I'm supposed to. And and you said, yeah, lovely. because it slows down the conversation and allows you to show the teacher or clinician that you're making a note of the most important things. And you will circle back to that at the next meeting and also allows you to sit into the car afterwards going, okay, so I have to do this. And they're concerned about this and they're going to do that. So when you go home to your co-parent, how did the meeting go? Oh, great. We talked about X, Y, or Z. And you actually have some information to share. So yes, a notebook per child is probably my top tip. If I had another tip, it would be to familiarize yourself with the school calendar. This has been a big learning curve for my husband because he is not in any way connected with the education world and forgets that schools stop working at three o'clock um, I wouldn't advise emailing a teacher on the Friday of the Christmas holidays. Right? You know, there's 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 times when it's sensible to contact a school, and there's times when, in all good conscience, no one's going to get back to you, and the email might get lost or the phone message might get lost. So just familiarise yourself with the calendar, familiarise yourself with deadlines. So if you're in a situation where you're looking at a special class or a special school. You want to be doing that minimum 12 months in advance, if not 18 months in advance of when you're planning to make that transition. If you're at second level and you're looking for state exams, accommodations, you need to be flagging that up with the CINCO, which is Special Education Needs Coordinator, at least in second year. So the testing is done on the autumn of third year. So you actually really can't be too far in advance of this stuff. So you know, it's really, really important to get out ahead of things ask the school when they need certain information by. Um, what do they need from you in terms of, like so for example, they might need certain wording in a report. And certainly the vast majority of clinicians, the competent ones anyway, will happily edit the wording in a report for somebody. So, so this is where it's working with the school rather than being highly indignant that some service wasn't provided, but maybe it wasn't clear that that was needed in time. Does, does that kind of make sense? Completely, yes. And that, and that planning element.
0: But as you are mentioning, Cara, totally that recording element. You know, there's so much going on and we often pop away or a teacher might get called out and then there's like, OK, where are we now? What are we talking about? So definitely, yes, documentation is key, I suppose, in keeping those paper trails, which is, yeah, is very, very useful. There which is great. Carl, listen, thank you so much. Anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with or how they can best contact you if they'd like some additional support and help and words of wisdom?
1: Um, Okay, so the thing I would leave people with is if they're watching this podcast, and they're following up on their worries about their child, they're already doing a good job. You know, they're actioning their concern. They're looking for support. So well done to whoever's watching this. If you want to contact me, just Google me. It's ClaraBurn.e. Happy to help remotely or face-to-face. And the final thing I would say to parents is be sure that any professional you're working with is registered with the appropriate body. Just do your due diligence before you hand over your money, really. It's just you have to be cautious these days. Exactly.
0: Clara, listen, thank you so much. Thank you for all the the facts. Hope everybody listening found you know two or three things useful. Um or even if they take away one thing, that would be more than the enough. No, <laughs> exactly. The notebook is from Clara. Let us know if anything you know we're actively looking at. And obviously feel free to get in touch with either myself or Clara if you want some further tips and advice. Thanks a million for watching. And Clara, thank you again so much for joining. Thank you.